Heavenly Father, we wrestle hard today as you have honestly, Lord, advanced the kingdom sometimes in places that we would never imagine. We wrestle hard today, Lord, answering the question ourselves, are these things so? We ask God for your spirit to lead us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. As I shared with you, we are in the book of Acts. And uh, the book of Acts is a powerful book, a powerful book that I would encourage you to read every year, just on your own, just to enjoy and to soak in the birth of the church and the birth of the movement and the birth of the Holy Spirit moving in the lives of us. Uh, we are in the second series now, which is advancing. So we move from movement to now advancing. And advancing here in the second series is saying that against all odds, no matter what happens, the church will advance. And it advances because the Spirit is working inside us. And the first message that we wanted to look at in this seven-part series of advancing has a brilliant, heartwarming title, Death and Growth. Death and growth. And I know you're excited and exhilarated by the idea of death and growth. Um, but as the spoken word was just read to us, it ended with that uh, incredibly epic question Are these things so? That's what they asked of Stephen, right? Are these things so? That's how seven, Acts chapter 7 1 starts. Because it's a crooked court case, right, with false allegations. And how would you really answer that question right now? I mean, Luke knows it, right, and the apostles know it. And we as readers, we kind of get the insight into this as followers. And now we get to understand that these charges, they've all been drummed up. These charges, they're all false. These charges are all misleading. After all, it's defamation of character, defamation of the character of Stephen, defamation of the character of Jesus, and Stephen knows that. Jesus, who he loves and understands, his Savior who transformed his life. So the room is kind of heated. You've got to imagine this, this courtroom is just deeply heated, and Stephen knows this. I mean, he was arrested the night before, kept in there, and now they ask this question, are these things so? If Stephen answers yes, they will put him in prison, right, for heresy. If Stephen answers no, they will put him in prison for lying. <laughs> so he doesn't really win either way. He's going to prison. They have it in their mind, a checkmate. They're very excited. When they say, are these things so, they are excited about this. They're not expecting him right now to flip the chessboard over and say the game is done that he's not part of this game, and he's not interested in this game. But the answer that he gave, well, the answer that he gave leads to death and growth. Death and growth. We have, as you've probably been aware, um, and I've mentioned this, that we began the process of uh, moving, right? Moving house. And uh, as you begin moving house, you, you suddenly realize that, and we, for us, what we're doing is we're moving really slowly, packing things up in the car, every now and again, moving some stuff over, and we'll do the big move at the end of March. But uh, we're moving from over 
11 years of accumulating things in a much larger place to a much smaller place, which is a good way, you know, as you, as you move to suddenly realize that you have to pare things out. And so we've got a whole load of things that we're going to be selling. And I'll be posting a list at some point, you know, if you want a cycle trainer, if you want a massage table, if you want our dining room table. I mean, it's not going to fit in this new house. We're, we're going to have a table that's going to fit four people and, a, and, a, and a, a budgie bird or something. I don't know. It's going to be stuffed. Don't worry. I'm not getting a real one. I don't want to give it, raise anybody's hopes that we're going to get a pet. That's not a good idea at all uh, in our household. Uh, so anyway, uh, for me, that is in particular. Uh, but, you know, we, we're doing this and we're looking at this kind of stuff. But the biggest debate in our house right now is about Lego. Really. And, uh, you know, someone in our house, not saying anybody in particular over there, uh, was asking, why do we need to keep all this Lego? And I know what you're thinking. How could that even be a question? Right? I know we don't have a basement, but I mean, the Lego could sit in the bedroom, in the living room, in the kitchen cupboards. I mean, it could stay. Um, and as we empty these items out and I'm making space, I mean, the Lego, I mean, it shouldn't really be a question. It should just be obvious. But in making space and moving all the stuff, there's, there's something good about giving things up. There's something good about having to let things go, about something having sometimes to die and, and having to go away in order that a new chapter can begin. We felt the same kind of pain this week when the one project last week ended. It died and something new could be birthed and a new chapter. And sometimes something has to end in order for something to be able to grow. Well, of course, to choose to align your point, pressure point is okay. We get to choose it. We are choosing to move, and so we get to choose this pressure point. Stephen, though, he didn't get to choose his pressure point. This pressure point was placed on him. It was not his agenda. It was someone else's agenda. It was somebody else's pressure point, and now he had to respond to this. So how would you answer that question? Step up or stand down? Which brings us to our very first recalibrate question. So if you open your worship guide, and I didn't bring one up with me, but I know that you have one. So if you open your worship guide, fortunately I wrote the questions down, and they're on the screen here. Uh, what's the first question? Why do we not step up to challenges? Why do we not step up to challenges? This is a burning question that I have of myself, a burning question that you may have of yourself. Maybe it's something you have of your colleagues at work. Do you look at them and say, why didn't you step up to challenges? Maybe it's a question you have of your children at home when you see the dishes piling up in the sink. Why? Why do you not take it and put it in the dishwasher? I mean, pretty obvious, you know? That's not a, a very difficult challenge. They, instead, they just take the cup and put it inside. I had a friend who used to come to our house, and he, he would drink, you know, whatever was in the fridge, the milk and stuff, or eat the veggie burgers and stuff, and then put the empty products back in the fridge or freezer. I mean, seriously, you, you, you put the empty carton back in there, the empty burger container back in there, and you would go and pull out the empty veggie burger and like, what? What was that about? Seriously, why not step up to the courage to just place it in the trash? I mean, how difficult is that? Uh, there is something inside us sometimes, though, that just resists us. When Nicodemus talked to Jesus in the darkness of his life and the darkness of his night, when Nicodemus confessed to Jesus what was going on in his life, when he heard what the Spirit was saying to him, and Jesus said to him that the Spirit is calling him, why did he not step up right away? Why did he wait until the cross? 
when the brother of Jesus, James, heard all that Jesus was and all that Jesus said, why did he wait until after the cross to step up and follow Jesus, right? When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and confessed the tension points of his life, and in his particular case, the the competition in his life to follow God, and Jesus said to him, this is what you must die to. This is what you must let go of. This is what you're holding on to, the hook in your life. Why did he not step up right away? Did he after the cross? When Peter and the other disciples were confronted about their faith, In the garden, through the trial, after the crucifixion, when they saw the empty tomb, met Jesus in the upper room. Why were they fishing? Why did they not step up right away? Why did they wait until Pentecost? There's something inside us sometimes that holds us back 100% from going forward. And this, my friends, is not a new problem. This is not a new problem. This is as ancient as itself. We struggle to go over small things, let alone step over something kind of big, let alone step over a mission. Some of us like to wait until the day we retire. Then we say it all. Secrets revealed. I'll tell you what happened. Some of us wait until we leave the company we're working for. Then we tell you what it was really like to work for that company. Some of us wait until years down the road before we explain what was really going on in our lives. Meanwhile, companies fail, churches fail, schools fail, families fail, hospitals fail, because we do not have the courage to step up and speak up and take on the challenge. I don't know if you've ever read this book by Gary Hamill. Uh, in this book, it's called What Matters Now. And uh, he outlines here five areas for organization to thrive in the future. He talks about uh, values, innovation, adaptability, passion, and ideology. Great book. Uh, I would recommend that you buy this book and read this book and maybe even watch one of his talks or lectures as well. Very, very good. And, and he, he talks, I mean, you would want to go and talk about motivation, but he talks about something far deeper inside there. And you can talk about this when it comes to a company or a business, or you can talk about this when it comes to you as a church or you as an individual. Values. You need to know that there is a moral renaissance in the business that you belong to or the church that you belong to. Stephen understood this. He sensed this, that there was a new moral ethical line in the church that he was being drawn to when he saw that the Greek and the Hebrew widows were being cared for. He said, this, this I can belong to. This, this is unheard of. This I want to be part of. Innovation sometimes is often a buzzword and uh, we kind of like everybody to talk about it. But he says that this cannot be just a buzzword. It cannot be just an idea. It needs to be the responsibility of every single individual. And the apostles, they didn't dictate this to get this done. They said this is how the community works. Wherever there is creative space, let's try it. Let's admit, and the apostles did this, when they didn't get it right, they said, let's admit. We don't know what we're doing. Let's innovate. Let's create new things. Complacency is not acceptable. And Stephen was gonna lead in this and with others in many areas. Adaptability, an organization has to have change as second nature, which I love. We should change all the time. Next week, 
I'm going to explain a whole bunch of things that we're going to be changing here at the church, which I know you're all excited about. Yeah, one of you is. All right, this is great. This is good. Two of us are really excited about this. This is good. This is, there's hope for us yet. But absolutely, adaptability, and it has to be second nature. This is why big organizations struggle to move, but we have to be nimble. We have to change the times. Stephen saw this in the church, shifting all the time, growing so rapidly that they couldn't even handle it. So they changed their style and their operation. And Stephen was elected to new leadership to adapt to change. And passion, the difference between insipid and inspired is the passion. We have to raise the human spirit. Stephen's passion for the gospel, oh, it was deep. It was contagious. How do you think he got to the point where he was able to answer this question if he didn't have the passion inside him? An ideology, not just about great systems, about doing things, but really strong principles. Do we stand what is right at all costs? Do we, like Stephen, see what is right and do this? And Stephen saw this with Peter and John and the apostles. They stood what is right. They were arrested, released by angels, confronted by it. They said, we will follow God before we follow men. They stood what is for right. How many of us, honestly, are willing to stand for what is right? Or do we cower under political, social, economic pressure and say, no, I'm just going to step away from saying what's actually right and what's true inside there? Now, Stephen had a choice before him. How hard is he to push back? And what was Jesus asking him to sacrifice right now to move the mission forward? Would his voice stand up for those being oppressed by the temple system? Remember that the temple system represented all the power and all the authority, and he was stepping up saying, Jesus has come to something different. Salvation was being squashed. Does it matter, friends, if people you know I've never heard about Jesus. I mean, think about this. How many people do you interact with and you hope that by, I don't know, osmosis or by the fact that you smell good, that they will know that you are a Christian and they will know the gospel and that that should be enough, that if you are just a kind, loving person, that should be enough, that if you just smile often, shake their hands often, hug them occasionally, appropriately, right? That it would be enough, and they would be okay with this. Does it matter, friends, if people know, don't know that you have never heard about Jesus? Well, maybe it's because our second question, our second question has been in holding pattern for too long. And this is a very delicate question, question number two. Would you rather be told the truth outright or gradually discover it for yourself? Hmm? Would you rather be told the truth outright or gradually discover it for yourself? Everybody's different. It depends what truth, right? Well, some truths I really want you to tell me outright. You're going to hit that car. Hmm? I'd like to tell you eventually <laughs> that you may hit that car. That would be a really delayed thing. I mean, I probably should tell me straight away. Other times, you know, you know, you probably should just tell me gradually. But, but some things you really want to be told straight away, some things gradually. Was this outright for Stephen or gradual? I'll let you kind of process that. 
very carefully in the book of Acts as you read that story in there. And I hope that you have this week, through the daily walk, read that passage. It's a great story. That's why I decided to, to cover the entire story in one sweep. It's a big text, the whole chapter. Luke decided to record the entire sermon, and it's a great sermon. And, and you notice that uh, in most Bibles, there's a break in the sermon with a little subheading right at the end. But in the text, there's no break in there. They intentionally, the text is written as one story, implying that there's a break by the, by the leaders in the middle. Like in mid-sentence, as he's speaking, they rush on him, all right? Because there's a, there's a tension point where he reaches this point where they're just like, they can't handle this. And they rush upon him and break the speech up. So there's an emotional roller coaster taking place inside there. He's gradually building them leading on this particular journey here. He weaves this narrative, and it's a, it's a perfect bedtime story that moves from a, a G-rated movie to an R-rated movie rather rapidly. But uh, when I mean G-rated, I mean G-rated means gentle, right? That's what I mean. It's a G-rated movie that means gentle, and when I mean an R-rated movie, I mean reality. He does a, a real reality shock on them. Because, sure, we could say that Stephen maybe was right, saying this because he's young, I mean, he's a young deacon, he's naive, he's millennial. I mean, what does he know? He's just going to get up there and just speak his mind. He's being what we refer to as authentic, right? I just want to say what's on my heart and just say it. I don't care about consequences. Blah, 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 vomit. Ah, done, right? No matter about that. Maybe that's what Stephen's actually doing. He's just vomiting all over them, you know? Sure, we could say it's because he needs to prove himself to the apostles. And he's like, I'll show these apostles. I mean, they're good. They were in prison. Now's my chance. I will step up and I'll step up and I'll show these apostles that I'm just as good as them. But that's not what the text says. It's not that he's trying to be authentic. It's not that he's trying to prove himself here. Luke records in the gospel that when there comes a time that you have to speak the truth, the Spirit of God will tell you what to say. Because Stephen has no speech writer saying, hey, I think you should write this. Stephen just has to respond on the spot, right there in front of the crowd in the heated moment. Is this so? And in that moment, he picks up a very selective piece of the narrative, very intentionally weaving his own thread to them. Because what he's about to say is dangerous. The apostles were brave men, and they spoke with conviction. But this young deacon, man, he's going to speak on another level. Stephen starts by referencing God to demonstrate that his belief is that the source of all blessing of life comes from God. And the leaders are like, well, we're okay with this. We're okay with this. So he kind of calms them down a little bit. He brings up Abraham, and they're like excited about Abraham because they like them. And he reminds them that God had established a covenant with Abraham. And God knew one day they would end up in captivity. Now, this is the first clue. They're going to end up in captivity because they're not going to obey God. They're going to reject God. All right? And they don't pick up this idea of rejection. They're just like, yeah, that's true. 
they're going to end up in captivity. This is the same thing that Apostle Paul will point out in Romans 4, Galatians 3, and he'll draw in Genesis 15 as well, showing that God has a promise and he has a way forward. Stephen then just very gently slips over to Joseph's narrative without missing a beat. It's just very naturally does this. And he says, you know, Joseph, yeah, he was, uh, he was rejected as well, but it's all right. God used who you rejected to save you. And they don't pick up on this, right? Do you see what he's doing? He's saying, you, God sends you someone, you reject them. God sends you someone, you reject them. Don't worry, the rejected saves you. They're like, oh no, I, I, we love Abraham, we love Joseph. They don't see the dots about this. He becomes in command of all of Egypt. He's able to save all of them. You have to wonder how the listeners could not see where Stephen was leading them, right? Literally to the cliff edge. That's what he's doing. He's literally bringing them to the cliff edge, and they, they have no idea about this. He moves on to Moses who, Moses, who they absolutely love. I mean, Moses is their man. He affirms that the law was given to Moses. While they didn't really keep the law, because, you know, they're still arguing about it to this very day, they understand that it's the foundation of the entire world. Well, Moses explains, he explains that Moses, you know, you, you followed him, but as soon as you followed him, you entered into idolatry so quickly. Didn't you? In fact, you actually built an altar. And do you remember what, what they did? They melted that altar. That altar. They melted it and they made you eat the, the gold so that your gods ended up in the latrines with you, right? So you understood how insignificant that was. Stephen is now in full stride. They're like, yes, we're with Abraham. We're with Joseph. We're with Moses. He's been very selective, though. He intentionally focuses only on the insider who has become the outsider. Do you understand this? He has chosen and yet has been rejected by his own people. He understands that God's presence is what makes the ground sacred and holy. The Hebrew prophets of old were never afraid to use a little bit of humor mingled with their reality. And they were brilliant at this kind of stuff. And they knew exactly how to do this. And so they would, they would constantly mingle all of their humor together, constantly trying to in highlight to them just how silly they were when they worshipped all these different things. So even when they talked about the temple, they said to them, listen, you think that one point, that there was a point where you would create a place to worship God. Well, even when Solomon built the temple, Isaiah said, you can't put God in this temple. It's a ridiculous idea, but it's okay. God let you build this temple. But Isaiah said, you can't contain God. That's all right. And the Jewish people, they loved the temple. They loved the line of David, but they really wanted to restore the temple. That's the first thing they did when they came out of captivity, is they rebuilt the temple, because that's where it came from. They wanted power to be restored to them. Now, knowing all of this, Knowing all of this, knowing that the temple is their seat of authority, knowing that the temple is where they see their glory, knowing that they understand that they have rejected people, but they haven't caught on to this, knowing how Stephen said, then he says, and Jesus came to this earth to turn the whole world upside down. And you don't understand that he doesn't need the temple, the temple that you love so much. They loved the temple more than they loved the people because it was a case of the temple versus the people right? They loved the temple as it was. The temple was their power. Just like their forefathers, they now rejected Jesus. So Abraham and Joseph and Moses, 
would all have agreed with Stephen, admonishing these people that they have rejected the one that God has sent. And this made them mad. And this made their blood boil. And this drove them to take Stephen's life. The same man who at the start of the chapter that we heard read so beautifully earlier was described as having a face that shone like the face of an angel who was filled with the Holy Spirit. This same man is the one that they rushed on. I shared this yesterday's quote from the uh, commentary, in the Zonovan commentary, and I'm gonna read this quote to you because it was in Data Walk, but I think it's a very powerful summary of what happens here. This is what happens, and you can see it on screens here. Stephen is the first witness in the church who died for his confession of faith in Jesus, the crucified, risen, exalted Lord and Savior. An authentic witness of Jesus is a person full of the Holy Spirit, willing to serve at tables, active in proclaiming Jesus Christ, unfazed by opposition, capable of explaining the significance and meaning of the gospel, unwilling to compromise his convictions, willing to die for his faith, which he regards as more precious than his own life, and loving people who have not yet accepted the gospel, including his enemies. What Luke emphasizes is not Stephen's courage, but the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. This is really difficult for us. Because the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we expect everything to be done cleanly and completely. But the presence of the Holy Spirit inside Stephen's life was literally that he was saying, I wish to proclaim the name of Jesus, and I wish to step up to the challenge. That's what it came down to. I don't have it all right. I'm not going to say all the words right, but I'm going to step up to the plate and say what I need to say, which begs our final question this morning. What is our temple today? What would make us cover our ears and rush against the voice of God, right? What is our temple today? What makes us cover our ears and rush against the word of God? They would do anything to hold on to the temple as the temple was their seat of control and power. So I have some questions for you that I'm gonna show you on the screen. And I want you to just think about these questions. What is the thing that we hold so secret that prevents us from seeing the mission before us? Do you know what that is for you? That you hold so secret? Is it your time? Is it your privacy? What is it that you hold so sacred that prevents you from seeing the mission before you? What needs to die in our life for us to grow? What needs to die in our life for us to grow? What do we need Jesus to remove from our life for us to grow? Have you ever asked God to take something away from your life in order to allow you to be able to grow? What are we trying to resuscitate in our life that Jesus said we should let it stay dead so that we can grow? There are things that we want to go back to, things that we want to resuscitate, things that we enjoy doing that God's saying, look, I helped you get rid of that. I helped you deal with that. Let it be so that you can continue growing. What do we need to sacrifice to advance our mission here at Boulder Church? So many of us step up every single day to move forward the mission that God has called us to. What is it that you need to sacrifice to advance the mission here? And we as a church, as Monica said last week, 
We are the church. What are we doing to advance it? What are we doing to advance it? Is that too heavy for you guys? I don't know. The idea of covering our ears and rushing against God is not an image that we enjoy, right? Uh, it doesn't bring us joy. You're like, I thought I came to hear a sermon that was going to bring me joy this week. I really did. I, I mean, Acts is supposed to lift me up, and, and uh, I feel they kind of brought me down a little bit. And I was really hoping for buoyancy. I've had a really hard week. And this is a, yeah, a bit of heavy here. Well, I'm not trying to uh, be obtuse here and be weird about stuff. It's not like I'm trying to be obtuse or weird about trying to keep my Lego. I just think that it's obvious, you know. There's some things you just keep, right? You don't have to let go of everything. They're just good things. But then there are some things that you actually do let go for the sake of the mission. And it's just simple. Perhaps we don't just get what's at stake here, right? Maybe we just don't get how serious it is. Maybe we think it's just light and it's small, right? But for Stephen, it was everything. And for us, it should be everything because for Jesus, it is everything, right? It should be, right? If it is everything for Jesus, then it should be everything for us as well. I'm not asking you to die physically. I'm not asking you to, I'm not asking you to do anything kind of like weird and crazy like that. I'm just asking you to live in this world and to die to this world. Do you understand that tension? I'm asking you to live for Jesus and to rise up. I'm asking you to claim with me the words of Paul. And the words of Paul are in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. And I'm going to read this text to you. It's in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. And I think that these verses here, that for me, it kind of covers up what I think Stephen actually understood really clearly. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's what Paul came to when he comes to the end of the Galatians letter. I mean, he's got all sorts of words of wisdom, but he says this, look, I don't want to boast in anything else. I want to recognize what Jesus has done, and I want to be crucified to the world on this, and I want to just lift up Jesus Christ. It is time to uncover our ears, right? It is time to respond to the call of God on our lives, to respond and to lift up and to rise ourselves. Oh, man. I wish that you had been there with us this week um, to be able to have heard what all those people had shared with us at the One Project on the final day as they spoke truth to life. I wish that you had got to listen to the hour and a bit of testimonies of people talking about what it meant to have Jesus in their life for the last seven years what it meant to them personally, what it meant to their church, because it's transformative to understand the power of the Spirit in your life. It's transformative to understand that this book has so much to teach us, and we spend so little time in it. But if we were to open the treasure inside this book, we'd discover the character of God. Oh, my goodness. And when you discover who God is, it would transform your life. And he is calling us to something, calling us something to far greater. He's saying it is worth it. Look, I want to live a life with less regret. Don't you? Right? I want to live and belong to a community with less regret. 
I don't want to live a life where we look back and say, ah, we should have done that. We could have done that. If only we had the courage to stand up and say that. We should be the kind of people to say, we did that. We stood up and we said that and we were that. Oh, we took all those punches, we took all those hits, but we did it in the name of Jesus. And it was good because Jesus called us to that. And we were strong for those who were weak because he is strong for us when we are weak, right? And he is the one who calls us up. Let's sing this last song together. And I'm no longer a slave to fear Cause I am a child of God And I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I know these are new words for us we haven't sung these words together. I've been wanting to sing these with our church family for a while. And every week that I've had it on the schedule, something comes up and it just doesn't, doesn't quite feel like the right week to do it. And then Dina and I were listening to this song last night and she said, that is just a perfect song for everything that's going on in our world, in our church, in life right now. So I want to sing these words together. Let's sing them again. I'm no longer a slave. I'm no longer a slave to fear Cause I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God Verse goes like this. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies until all my fears are gone. I'm no longer I'm no longer a slave to fear. 
2018 let's take this and let's advance this community forward because God has called us something greater greater than what we are today to the future let me pray for you Heavenly Father God you are the one who releases us of all of this you the one who actually takes us forward you are the one who calls us your child you are our father we thank you in your name for taking us amen and amen